Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bayou Church. And my name is Justice. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad you uh, chose to wake up and worship with us this morning. And uh, as you can tell, I'm a little under the weather. And so y'all can be praying for my voice as we as we spend some time in God's Word today. And look, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, the title of the sermon today, creatively, is called uh, David and Goliath. <laughs> David and Goliath. I want you to know at the onset of our time together as we study this passage, if there's anything that we cover today that is new to you, or maybe you might think it's impressive or fascinating, um, it probably wasn't me, okay? And this, I say that because I didn't come up with all these ideas about the passage. Uh, this is a product of good teachers, um, people who have influ influenced me in regard to my thinking and shaping my understanding of this passage are people like Aiken and Chandler and, um, and Guzik and Moody and Platt. Many of these uh, men and good Bible teachers have shaped my understanding of this passage. And so I, I want you to know that because, you know, Paul told Timothy to take the things that you have received and, and entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I, I don't teach... Uh, the Bible to impress people, right? I teach the Bible because I want you to know God better and to have a, a more intimate relationship with him. And so, um, so anyways, I, I say that because at any point, at any time in my preaching ministry, if you think, man, that's impressive, just it wasn't me, okay? And I don't say that like it's the Lord. I mean like I'm not the most original thinker, okay? And so um, I've been blessed to receive some good things. Um, all that being said, let's dive into 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a long chapter, and so in our uh, beginning reading, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, um, verses 45 through 47, but we are going to unpack the entire chapter in our time together. So 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 45, I think pretty summarizes the message of this chapter. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing in this place and in us, Lord. And, and Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you that you've so beautifully written the scriptures in a way that communicates the gospel on every page, God. And so I pray that as we study your word, that we would see the glory of who you are and what you've done for us. And that we would trust you and put our faith in you, God. So, Lord, come and speak to us and give us understanding. God, give me strength to 
preached today. I pray that you'd come and take over, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Other than uh, Jesus, did you know this? Other than Jesus, David is the most popular person in the scriptures. He's referenced more than anyone else in the scriptures. He's all over the place. He's the most famous character in the Bible other than Christ. And the story of David and Goliath is uh, one of the most well-known and retold stories of all time. It is one that um, whether or not you're a believer, you know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, even David and Goliath, you know, you have people, you have like a small, small business startup. They're kind of going and producing the same product that maybe a big corporation is producing. And you, you just see it in the marketplace. It's like, man, it's like a David and Goliath. It's like this little, little boy against this big giant. And so it's such an, an incredible story. Um, but the, the problem with the story of David and Goliath is that uh, it's been so poorly taught <laughs> so throughout, um, th- throughout the years in the sense that, I don't know about you, but I've always been taught that the story of David and Goliath is the story of like you, uh, the underdog. It's the story of, of us overcoming our giants uh, with the help of the Lord. And, uh, but this story is not about the bigger you are, the harder you fall. The story is not about you being David and you slaying your giants. I kind of think that it almost speaks to our sinfulness that we read the Bible and see ourselves in the hero of the story, every story. No, we are not David in the story. We are the Israelites cowering in the corner, afraid and helpless and terrified. It's a story about the drama of salvation. It's a story about the glory of God, and ultimately it's designed to point us to the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. And um, the point of the story is not to be brave in the face of giants, is what David Platt said about it. The point of the story is not to be brave in the face of giants. The point of the story is to be passionate about the glory of God. Four things I want us to see in this passage today is the first thing is this, is that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkoth, Sukkoth, I don't don't know how to say some of these words, guys, which belongs to Judah, I told you, don't be impressed by me, y'all, which belonged to Judah and encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah in, man, I'm just going to give up right here, let's get over verse 1. The point of verse 1 is that there's Philistines involved, there's Philistines involved, and Philistines are a longtime enemy of the Lord. They uh, appear for the first time in the Bible in Genesis 10, verse 14. And, uh, and so these are an enemy of God, okay? He's a well-known opponent to God. And uh, let's just keep going to verse 2. Um, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped at the valley of Elah and drew up in line a battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So this is kind of the setup of the, of the battle here. We have the Valley of Elah, which is west of Bethlehem. It's about 17 miles from Jerusalem. Um, there's an army on each side. There's a valley in the middle, and no one's willing to cross the valley to start the battle because if you go down into the valley, you're at a disadvantage, okay? So both armies are on kind of the hills 
the, the mountains of, and, and then whoever goes in first, they're getting it, man, they're getting it. And so everybody's kind of at a standstill because no one wants to cross the valley and die. Um, and so they send out um, a challenger. They send out this challenger. Look at verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Um, he had a helmet of bronze in his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Uh, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be uh, servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Um, two things we see about this uh, <clears throat> enemy is uh, the enemy of God is uh, visually intimidating. Visually intimidating. We have one of the most detailed descriptions of a person in all of the Bible. Detailed about everything um, this person was wearing. Goliath is, it says he was, uh, let's see, where was he? And he came out, the man, he, was, he weighed, uh, whose height was six cubits and a span. Six cubits and a span. Now six cubits, a cubit is about 18 inches and a span is half that. So if you put that together, that is uh, nine feet, nine inches tall. So he's a big guy, he's a giant, and um, you know, they don't make them like they used to, right? Isn't that what they say? Giants, although they are rare, they, um, they existed. Just like giants have existed in our day, they exist uh, in their day as well. There's some, a historian, a theologian that says, besides the giants mentioned in scripture, other ancient writings uh, make mention of persons seven cubits high, which is near double the ordinary man's height. More recently, uh, there's been a documented case. It's actually, he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the tallest man that has been you know, identified, verified, and we have pictures of this person. Uh, in the 1940s, his name was Robert Wad Wadlow. He was eight feet, 11 inches tall at the time of his death at age 22. So giants, they're an anomaly but they're real, they've existed, and here they exist back then. Um, so he's a big guy. His weight of his coat was 500 shekels of bronze. That's about 126 pounds. He had a weaver's beam. It says that, um, that his spear was like a weaver's beam. You ever wonder what, what's a weaver's beam? Well, it's a beam um, that a weaver uses. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> I wish I was joking, guys. That's what it is. <clears throat> I've always wondered that my whole life. What's a weaver's beam? Every time I think of weaver's beam, I think of like beaver for some reason. But 
A weaver's beam is just a beam that a weaver would use. It's a long beam that a weaver would use. They would have known what he was talking about. So he had there was this weaver's beam, and um, the spearhead that he had weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is about 15 pounds. He said that he had this shield bearer that was going before him carrying his shield. His shield was so big, and a lot of times your shield was really the size of you. And so the shield was so big, he had a whole other person carrying it for him. And so he's kind of decked out in this armor. Um, what's interesting about this armor, so here's the interesting thing, is that the, it says that he wore male armor, and that's really a bad translation. A better translation would be um, scale armor. Scale armor, these overlapping um, pieces of metal, uh, plates of metal. A theologian's say that he most likely would have looked like he was covered in scales like a snake, like a serpent. Also, the word for bronze here, um, the word for bronze here is the root of its word comes from the Hebrew word serpent. So it is fascinating that this man, this, I don't think it's a coincidence that this giant is clothed, is described as having the appearance of a snake. Appearance of a serpent. You think back at the very beginning, the earliest uh, run-ins with the enemy of God was in the garden and the snake or serpent appeared to Eden, to, e to Eve in Eden. And so, the, so you have this giant clothed like a giant serpent representing the enemies of God coming against him. Okay, point being that our enemy is visually intimidating, that uh, you can't see a way for the enemy to be defeated. He's visually instills fear in you. But fortunately, if we go back to chapter 16, verse 7, we see that that doesn't matter to the Lord. Verse 7 of chapter 16 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what we get here is that doesn't matter how visually intimidating it, the enemy is. Um, God's not impressed by it or scared of it. All right, so it's visually intimidating, and the enemy is verbally threatening. Verbally threatening. Look back at verses Eight. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? I'm, am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul, who a man, choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistines uh, said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 16 indicates, tells us that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So the Philistine giant is coming out and he is threatening and blaspheming uh, the living God for 40 days. Now, a couple weeks ago um, in our Bible study, I make the mistake sometimes of asking if people have any questions. And um, someone asked, what is the significance of 40 in the Bible? 
And I didn't have it off the top of my head, but since then we've learned that, uh, that the number 40 in the Bible is almost always related to a time of testing or trial or difficulty. We have um, Noah at the flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It was a, it was a time of judgment and testing. Uh, whenever Moses went on Mount Sinai with God, he was up there for 40 days fasting. Um, whenever Israel was judged, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness. It's always been kind of a time of, of testing and trial. And this is another test for Israel. Would the nations trust themselves? Would they trust in their own ability and their own battle readiness? And Would they trust in themselves or would they trust in the Lord? And here we see the enemy of God taunted them for 40 days. But then later, our Lord, when he begins his public ministry, he is tempted for 40 days before ultimately defeating the enemy. I just want to show you some of these parallels as we go along of how this whole story is a drama of the, the redemption story. And we have an enemy taunting them for 40 days. Christ encountered his enemy being tempted for 40 days. He would have been uh, benefited from hearing the prayer of Hannah. Hannah was Saul's mother, I mean Samuel's mother. Samuel, the book that we're reading and studying together and in chapter uh, 2 of Samuel, verse 3, she prays this prayer and she says this, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Look down at verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. And so I think Goliath could have heeded that warning because it's about to end badly for him. But, but the enemies of God um, are boastful. They're arrogant. They're prideful. So we have an enemy. That's what the first 11 verses communicate. We have an enemy. Um, Goliath representing the enemy uh, of God, all that's opposed to God. Secondly, we need a champion. We need a champion. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 17 tells us that there came out from the camp of Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, who you know, tells us he's tall. So he's a champion, and he's not, this, this word champion is not like we use the word champion. It's not, we are the champions, my friends. That's not what he's talking about. It's not like I, I went away race, and now I'm the champion. This word champion literally means the man between. The man between. And so he's a representative of the army. He's the man between two armies. In verse 8 and 9, it says, he stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, have you come out to draw up battle? Am I not a Philistine or not your servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself. Choose your own champion. Let him come down. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then I will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve 
us. So to, sometimes one method of war, to limit casualties of war, to limit the amount of blood that is shed, sometimes the armies would make this agreement. They would each send down a champion, the man between the armies, um, someone to fight the battle on behalf of the armies. And it was a uh, winner-take-all death match, okay? Whoever won, won for their entire army. They were a representative. And one person fights on behalf of the nation, and Goliath represents all of those who were opposed to the kingdom of God. And whoever comes against him represents the kingdom of God. See, Goliath is a, a tall guy. And so who would be the best challenger for Goliath? Um, well, who's the tallest guy in Israel? Well, whenever King Saul was chosen, um, back in chapter 9, it gives us this little description about him. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome and young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Oh, he was so pretty. From, here's the point, though. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So they chose Saul to be their king because he's like the tallest. <laughs> Look at how tall this guy is. He's head and shoulders above everybody. He's the tallest guy we have. Um, estimate, people estimate that he was maybe around 6'5", and the average height, the, like the max average height of an Israelite male at the time was 5'6". And so it's believed that David was probably 5'3". And so he, this is just, he is, he's the tallest guy around. And so we have this giant, who, who do we look to to battle? Maybe Saul, he's our tallest guy. But he's also the king. He's the tallest and he's strongest, but he's also the leader. He's the one who's supposed to represent the army. He's the one who's supposed to lead the battle. But what is he doing? Let's look back at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In uh, verse 24, it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So the best leader that we have is trembling. He's afraid. He's cowardice. Not a man could be found who would face Goliath. They needed a new king that would fight their battles. See, uh, this chapter is not only contrasting David and Goliath. It's contrasting David and Saul. Saul was large and he was experienced, but he was afraid. David was small and inexperienced, but he was courageous and he was filled with faith. We see the difference like, of what king are we looking to? Who are we putting our trust in to save us? What made the difference between David and Saul? Well, let's look at a few, uh, six things about David in these couple chapters here. Uh, one is that he's the Lord's anointed king. Chapter 6, 
I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 6, tells us, when they came, he looked at Eli, uh, Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So, so um, Saul was the king, um, but he walked away from God, disobeyed God. God's like, I'm going to replace you. And so he went to go anoint a new king. He tells Samuel, go and anoint this new king from this family. He looks at the first son, Eliab, and he's like, oh, this has got to be the Lord's anointed, the Lord's anointed. But God says, no, it's not. Ends up being David, the youngest, the one they didn't even invite to the party. In verse 12, he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed on him from that day forward. So he's anointed uh, of the Lord. Israel uh, chose Saul to be their king. Um, but when Saul failed, God anointed David to be his king. Like there's sometimes you don't really know how someone's going to do. You might elect him to office, and then you're like, well, this is not going so well. And then so God's like, well, I'll just replace him. And so he anoints a new king. And then he's got a heart after God. He's got a heart after God. Verse 7 says, but the, of chapter 16 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the outward appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so he's like, look, I've looked at David's heart, and he has a heart after me. It says in chapter 13 that, um, that, that David had a heart after the Lord. In the book of Acts, it reiterates this, that David was a man after God's own heart. And God, God is contrasting David with the giant Saul contrasting David with the giant Goliath, and David had a heart after God. See, God doesn't care about appearance or age or stature. God is not impressed by externals. The Lord looks at the heart. Now, the heart, um, the heart is the real you. The heart is the real you. It's not the pretend you. It's not the fake you. It's not the you you want to be. It's not the you you pretend to be. It's not this facade you put on. The heart is the real you. And um, the, the you that no one else sees. The you that no one else sees, God sees. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, great. For like some, I'm glad that God, at least God sees the real me. And then some of you are like, oh, no, God sees the real me. But God looked at the heart of David and said, that's a man after me. That's a guy with a heart after mine. Chuck Swindoll says, God rejects the people pleasers and exalts the God pleasers. God notices the nobodies. See, nobody saw David. Nobody expected David. But um, God saw him, and God anointed him. And the Lord, uh, the next thing is that the Lord chose him. Chapter 16, verse 8 through 10, it says three times that he is, he is the chosen one, that he is the youngest, and he's just the keeper of the, she the sheep, but he's the chosen one. I mean, whenever they, Samuel came to Jesse's uh, family, who's Jesse is the dad of David, he said, hey, bring your sons out. We're going to choose one to be the king. And they chose, he pulled, brought all his sons, seven of them, except for David. They didn't invite David. He goes down the list, and God says, no, 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 no. They get through all of them. And Samuel's a little confused because he's like, I know I heard God say that the king was here in your family. Is, is there anyone else? And he's like, well, yeah, there's another one. He doesn't even name him like, yeah, we got another one. He's the youngest. He's just the keeper of the sheep. Uh, there's no way it's him. And Samuel said, how about you just go get him and let's see? 
like he had this very weird dysfunctional relationship with his dad and with his with his brothers they didn't even think about him they didn't invite him they didn't call him by name he, they bring him in Samuel is the first one to give to give David any dignity and honor and uh, but he's the chosen one that whenever uh, God, you, you might not might not might, might not be the person you choose but he's the person God chooses the Lord's chosen and then he's a servant of the Lord in verse 32 calls him a servant we're back in chapter 17 now in verse 32 um, it says your servant will fight the Philistine verse 33 I'm um, 34 says, uh, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions. He's a servant. He's a servant. And um, he's the Lord's servant. This should remind us of the suffering servant prophesied about in Isaiah 53. That the Lord is a suffering servant who would suffer and serve on behalf of his people. What kind of servant was David, let's look at verse 31 of chapter 17. What kind of servant was he? Let's look. When the Lord, when the words of David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. So he's like, I'll do it. If no one else is willing to do it, I'm going to do it. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. If you are just a youth, and, uh, and this Goliath guy, he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, I took the lamb from the flock and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And uh, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I love that. He's like, look, I used to keep, I, I keep sheep, you know, I'm a shepherd, and whenever a lion or a bear grabs one of, the, one of the lambs out of my flock, you know, most people, what do they do when that happens? You see a lion come grab one of your lambs, you're like, I lost a lamb today. <laughs> Sorry. Not David. <laughs> he's like <laughs> running after the lion. And apparently, he says, I struck him. Apparently, he uses his, he's been practicing with this, um, this sling business. And so he strikes him. And then he pulls the lamb out of his mouth. And he's like, if he gives me trouble, I grab him by his beard. And I <laughs> go to town on him. Right? There's some extra biblical, okay, extra biblical his, history. The, uh, the historian Josephus uh, said that there that David would grab the lion by his tail and <laughs> all right it's extra biblical guys but it is interesting it's fascinating that this is what he would do he's like I run listen, look 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 I run after the one sheep I leave the ninety nine I go after the one I rescue them from the, the mouth of the lion that's what David does and. Uh, but how does he do it? Look at verse 36. He says, your servant stroke down both lion and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he defied the armies of the living God. He talks about how um, God is the one. Through, it's the Lord who delivered him. 
from the mouth of the lion and the mouth of a bear. And the Lord will deliver him from this Philistine, from this enemy here. And I think what we see here is that God prepares us for the big things by teaching us to be faithful in the little things. I'm sure David didn't know as he's being a shepherd out there, having the, the job of the lowest servant. He's out there uh, keeping the sheep. He had no idea that every time he took out a lion, every time he's like, all right, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, wow, that he was preparing to fight the battle of David and Goliath or to kill this giant. But he was faithful in these little things. And so that was preparing him for God to use him in greater ways. And why should God give you anything big if you aren't being faithful with the little things? You know, I've known people throughout the years that they just want some type of platform or position or title. And you try to start them off with something small. Let's just start coming to church, right? We just start coming to church. And then maybe you serve on one of the serve teams somewhere. Maybe you show up reliably and faithfully. And then we'll see what happens. We'll see where things go. But some people are unwilling to be faithful in the little things because they just want to have the big thing. But here, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you in due time. Okay, so he's the Lord's servant. He's blessed with the spirit. The spirit has left. Uh, Saul, in verse chapter 16, verse... Uh, uh, 14 says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, the harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And verse 13 says, Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed, uh, anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So what we see here is that there's a time where the, Lord, the spirit of the Lord came on Saul to be the king. Whenever Saul rebelled against God, he took his spirit from him. And he placed it on David. It rushed upon him, it says. And, fr and from that day forward, he had the Spirit of God on him. So he is blessed with the Spirit. David was Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled man. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate in our time. You know, in the Old Testament, God would come on, the Spirit of God would come on to somebody for a period of time, and he could be removed from them. But in the New Testament, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he never leaves I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm in you till the end. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have him for life. And so, um, so the whole, we don't have to worry. Is God going to take his Holy Spirit from us if he's given it to us? But in that time, the Holy Spirit would come on people for periods of time for works of the Lord. And he's come upon, he's rushed upon David. And this should remind us when, of, um, when the Lord was anointed for his public ministry at his baptism. And at his baptism, whenever he was baptized by John the Baptist, it says the heavens opened and the Lord spoke and the Spirit of God descended on him and rested on him from that day forward. And the Lord spoke from heaven and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Later, Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, these are pictures. This is a picture of Christ here. So he's blessed with the Spirit and he's zealous for the honor of the Lord. That's one of the things that contrasts David from everyone else in this story is that he is zealous for the honor of the Lord. Let's go back at verse, to verse 12. Now David was the son of uh, an, 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 
he was the son of somebody from Bethlehem in Judah. Look, guys, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you, don't be impressed by me. And uh, I would normally try, but I'm just not feeling like trying today. The Bethlehem in, in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In those days of Saul, the man uh, was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse followed Saul into the battle, and the names of their sons were, when they went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. Uh, the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistines came forward and uh, and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers uh, this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses. Why, why, what are these 10 cheeses about? I don't know. It's like Here's a charcuterie board for you. Take it to your brothers. Here you go. Uh, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousands. See if your brothers are well. And bring a token up from the, like, it seems like he's probably doing this to almost bribe the commander. Hey, hey, here's some cheeses. Um, maybe you could keep my sons away from, like, the heat of the battle. Maybe we could, maybe we could watch out for those guys. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. It's interesting that he says this because they weren't fighting with the Philistines. So it's like, that's, that's the word they're sending home. They were fighting as as hot as he did. No, but that's not what's happening. What's happening is they're all standing there in terror. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took provisions as he went. As Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment of uh, the host, was going out to the battle line shouting, it's war cry. So this is going to be the first time that David hears what, what Goliath has been spouting for 40 days now. And I just love that when he leaves his sheep, he leaves them with a keeper. This, again, just shows you his shepherd's heart. I'm not abandoning my sheep. I'm going to make sure my sheep are well cared for. And Israel and the Philistines, verse 21, drew up for the battle, army against the army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of uh, the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers and talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, uh, Goliath, by name, came out of the ranks and the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the men, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who've come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will enrich the man who kills him with greater riches and will give him a daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. This is an important verse here the reward for killing the giant. So Saul is like, I'm not going to do it. And so maybe we can pay one of you guys to do it. And so here's a reward. If anybody wants to go fight this guy, um, you're going to get riches. You're going to get my daughter. So you get a bride. And you're going to get freedom in Israel. That means you're not going to be taxed. Um, pretty, good, pretty good incentive there. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach, look at this, from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies 
of the living God. I love that. So he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. He is not primarily commenting on his anatomy as much as the spiritual element of the battle. He's saying this guy represents uh, an attack not only on the armies of Israel. That's what everybody else was saying. Everybody else was saying, man, how are they going to come against Israel this way? You know what he says? He says, how can he defy the armies of the living God? Defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him, verse 27, in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have I? You left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Oh, Eliab, he's a little bitter. Because you got to remember, whenever Samuel was trying to choose the next king, the first person he looked at was Eliab. He's the oldest. He's, he's the one who deserved it. He's the strongest, the tallest. And Samuel looks at him, and he's getting ready to anoint this guy. So he's like, Eliab's probably sitting there, I'm the next king. And then he's like, nope. Who is it? And it ends up being David. So, so you can see Eliab's probably a little bitter. David comes and brings them refreshments and, and little lunchables and stuff. And he's like, why do you do this? You know, some people are just angry. And it's interesting that he says, I know, I, I know the evil of your heart. Fascinating. You don't know people's heart. You know, what, is, what does God say, the one who actually knows the heart? What does he say about David's heart? He's got, a, he's got a pure heart. He's got a heart after God. Eliab's like, no, your heart is evil. Look, you can't even, you can't even judge your own heart. You know, Jeremiah says that the heart is um, evil and deceptive among all things. Who can understand it? You don't even get your own heart, much less the heart of people. So quit judging, you know. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? He's like, what have I done? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as uh, before. What we see here is that this, uh, he's zealous for the honor of the Lord. This might have been the first time in his life. He's a young man. Uh, the, the description of his age speaks to someone who's probably in their teen years. And so he's a young man. And this might have been the first time that he has ever heard anyone mock and ridicule God in this manner. First time he's ever heard someone blaspheme the name of the Lord like this. And it unsettled him. But more than it unsettled him, it made him angry. And although others ran from this giant blasphemer, David runs towards it. To fight zealously to defend the honor of the Lord. So he's zealous for the honor of the Lord and David had faith that God would deliver him. He had faith. Look at verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. David sees the giant as just another beast, like the lion or the bear. And he believes that the Lord will deliver for him from the giant as he did those other places. 
I love here he says, the Lord, he doesn't say the Lord can. He's not, the Lord can deliver me. If the Lord wills it, it can happen. No, he says the Lord will deliver me. The Lord will. In the eyes of <clears throat> the giant is tiny when you put him next to the living God. The Lord of hosts, verse 45, or the Lord who saves. David calls him the living God, probably to indicate that he believes that this is the same God who has done all the other miraculous deliverances throughout the history of Israel. That the same God who parted the Red Sea and delivered the Israelites from the hands of Pharaoh will deliver me from this giant because he's living and he's able. He expressed his tremendous faith. David really did believe 1 John 4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And David would fight this battle not as others have fought the battle. He would fight this battle with faith. See, David was not fighting for God. God was fighting for him. So this is God's battle. He will deliver me. So we have an enemy, and we need a champion. And who's your champion, David or Saul? Who are you trusting to follow? Who are you following and trusting, David or Saul? We've got to move a little quicker, guys. Uh, we have a, a third thing here is that we have a God who fights our battles for his glory. That's important. A God who fights our battles for his glory. Um, what we see here is that God is not concerned with appearance, the appearance of the enemy. Uh, verse 30, 38 says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on the helmet of bronze on his head and closed him in a coat of mail. Now this, this is actually a different word than the word earlier used to describe a, a Goliath's coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and uh, put them in his shepherd's pouch, his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Um, approached the Philistine. Where, 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 what verse was that, guys? 41, okay, thank you. And the Philistine, <laughs> the Philistine moved. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David. Don't start the music yet, Darren. <laughs> All right, this is not the Oscars, man. You're not going to get me off the stage. All right. <clears throat> I'm not even on the last point yet. We're going to hurry. So and the Philistine moved forward. I'm sorry, there's so much I want to say, and I'm trying to decide what to say and what not. So the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bear in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David... He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, I am, a am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds 
of the air and to the beasts of the field. And so what we see here is that, um, you know, God, uh, David looked like the underdog. He really did. Uh, Saul tried to give him his armor. Again, just indicating that really Saul's trust was in the flesh, was in his physical uh, abilities. And so he's like, I'm going to give you everything physically to help you win this battle. But David put it on. He's like, dude, you're 6'5". I'm 5'3". This is not working. And uh, just let me do it the way God's designed me. I'm going to trust in God to, to do this thing, not in all this armor. So even Saul was kind of judging by appearances, trying to beef up David the best he could so he looks like a warrior and be a little bit intimidating. And then whenever the Goliath sees David, he sees his little boy, and he's like, this is the guy. After 40 days, this is the guy. You chose to come out after me. He sees David's staff in his hand. He's like, come after me. Am I like a dog? We're going to play fetch with these sticks. So Goliath is judging by appearances. Saul judged by appearances. But God is not concerned with appearances. God uses the weak to shame the strong, 1 Corinthians says. He's young. He's youthful. But youth doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. Youth doesn't necessarily qualify you. It's not like God chooses you because you're young. But it doesn't disqualify you. So God's not concerned with appearances. God will save those who trust in him. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> the Lord will deliver <clears throat> Help me, Lord. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the, the dead bodies to the hosts of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts, to the earth, that all the earth may know. Why? Why is he doing this? That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. We have a God who fights for us. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He's like, you come to me with merely human weapons, but I come in the name and in the power of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the hero of the story of David and Goliath is not David. It's the Lord. It's the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who fights. And the reason why is because, verse 46 says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He's fighting our battles, but for his glory. He is about glorifying, exalting his name in all the earth. And he fights our battles for his glory and he will save those who trust in him as David did. And then we see that God will crush the head of our enemies. Look at verse 48. When the Philistines arose and came quickly and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David, um, he go, go quickly to meet the Philistine. And David, verse 49, put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, slung it on, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. 
and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in the hand of David. I find this interesting. So David goes and he picks five smooth stones, and he brings his sling. Why did he pick five stones? Um, you know, some people say, well, it's because David, uh, Goliath had four brothers. Later, we're told that he, Goliath had four brothers. So he's like, if your brothers come out to help, I'll give all of you. Um, I personally believe that he was just like, hey, I'm going to be prepared. If the first one misses, I'll get another shot. And so he's just coming prepared. He's kind of got his five stones. But it is interesting that Leviticus 24, 16 tells us that the um, penalty for blaspheming the Lord shall be death. If you, in the law, in Leviticus 24, if you blaspheme the name of the Lord, the penalty was death, but not just death. It was death by stoning. Coincidence? I think not. And this sling that David had was not like a slingshot that we play with as, as kids. It's not like a kid's toy. Um, it was an ancient offensive weapon that um, they would use in war, but they would all shepherds would use to control and defend their flock. Um, shepherds usually made a sling out of long, thin strips of leather. They formed a pouch in the middle. Um, it, it, this one author says, talented slingers could propel small objects hundreds of feet at very high speeds with great accuracy. Uh, pictures of slings and stones. Now, we also don't think that he like picked up a little bitty rock. See, uh, archaeology has revealed to us that a typical stone used in this type of sling would have been between two and three inches in diameter. Probably the stones that he had were the size of a modern baseball or even larger. One commentator said a master slinger could sling a tennis ball-sized stone that traveled at the speed of well over 100 miles an hour, faster than most professional baseball pitchers can throw a fastball today. Okay, so this wasn't like a toy he had. This was like, you know, whenever you, they would, they would sling this and then let it go, whoo, and it would go fast. You know, whenever you whip a, a whip, a bull whip, and you hear that crack? Well, that crack is because it's, it's, it's exploding, the end of that whip is exploding at such a speed it breaks the sound barrier and makes a, a boom. Okay, imagine that, okay? You know, you hear his crack and then sinks into this baseball or tennis ball-sized stone, sinks into the forehead of this giant. What's happening here is a battle of the Lord. Who is really God? The, the God that the Philistines worship primarily was the God called Dagon. Is Dagon the one true God or is Yahweh the one true God? What's fascinating about this is that he hit Goliath with a stone, he fell on his face, and then he cut off his head. Um, it's reminiscent of a time where the Philistines battled with Israel and they won. And they captured the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was the, really the symbol of the presence of God. They captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines did, and they put it in their temple for Dagon, this idol. And that wasn't good for Dagon because 
over the next couple of days, the Dagon would, the, the idol would, would be found um, face down, fallen face down with its head and its hands broken off. Isn't that wild? And so here now, the representative for the god Dagon has found himself face down without a head. Who is the real God? Our God is. Genesis 3.15 tells us uh, that whenever they fell in the garden, God begins the plan of redemption. And he says, one day there will come from the seed of a woman, a man who will crush the head of the serpent. Again, we see the head of this man dressed like a serpent being crushed and cut off. This should point us to a, a mountain later on called Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull where God crushed the head of our enemy and defeated death and hell and the grave. That God crushes the head of our enemies. And he often uses the weapons of the enemies to defeat the enemies. Look at verse 51. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine. He took the sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. David uses Goliath's own sword to defeat him. And at the cross, God would um, defeat death by death. He would die to defeat death. There was the death of death and the death of Christ. And so God defeats the enemies. God goes to battle for us, for his glory. God allows his people to share in his victory. That's the last point. We receive the rewards of victory. Look at what happens after they kill Goliath. Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, the gates of Ekron from their wounds. The Philistines fell on the way as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. David took the head of the Philistines and brought to Jerusalem and put him, uh, his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw that David would go against the Philistine, he and Abner, and com commander of the army of Abner, whose son was with, was, um, was, who is this youth, he says. And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know, right? And that's just what you want in, in your servant. Who is this guy? As your Lord lives, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this boy is. And as, as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul uh, with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehemite. David's, Saul is inquiring about Jesse's um, family, most likely, so that he'll know who gets the reward. There was a reward for killing the, the uh, Philistine, and it applied to all those you were blood related to. And so he's trying to figure out who is this that we're going to reward for what David did here for the nation. What we see is that immediately after David kills the, the giant, they are, um, the whole nation receives the rewards of the victory. Now, what is the reward? Do you remember back in verse 25? What, have you, what happens to those who kill this giant? Surely, um, he says, the king will enrich the man, the king uh, with great riches. He will give his daughter, so he gets a bride, 
and, um, and he makes his father's house free in Israel. So you'd be free. So you get rich, you get a bride, and you get free. See, Jesus is the good shepherd, the anointed one, the man after God's own heart, the chosen servant of Isaiah 53, who after 40 days of being tempted by the enemy crushed the heads of our enemies, slaying the serpent giant of sin and death by its own weapon, by dying on the cross for our sin, raising three days later, defeating death and the grave, he would be crowned with riches and glory, receive a bride, the church, and offers this free gift, this free and victorious life to all those who would trust in him as their king of kings. See, it is the Lord who saves. And the story communicates us an amazing truth is that God allows us to receive the reward of the victory that he won. That he fought the battle. That he defeated the enemy. And we are the beneficiaries of that victory. Surrender your life to him today. Father in heaven, Father, thank you for the beautiful story of, of David and Goliath, real event, God, and, uh, but I just thank you how you have woven it together in such a way to communicate the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that we have an enemy that we cannot defeat, that we are not courageous, that we are cowardice, we are helpless. We need a champion someone to represent us, someone to battle on our behalf. God, I thank you that you fight our battles for your glory. That you did the work, you fought the battle, you paid the price. Most of all, I thank you that we can receive the reward of that victory. That you offer us eternal life, victory over our enemies if we are on the side of the king. So, Lord, please, strengthen our faith in you today. Help us to be men and women of faith and obedience. But, God, I pray that you draw someone to you today, that they'd see the beauty of the gospel and what you've done for them. And they'd trust you. Bow a knee to King Jesus today. Surrender your life to him today. Experience newness of life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this message to our hearts as we need it this week. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.